Well, the first thing that we did when we came into this church after it had been closed for nearly a year was to pray. We gathered to worship and praise and adoration. Then some of us spent the whole night in prayer. Because at the heart of the vision for a church that is the church of Jesus is that it might be a house of prayer for all nations. And all the different things that will happen in this church over the years, whether they be bouncy castles <laughs> or whether they be quiet, reflective times in the Trinity Chapel, whether they be times to gather around food as we will have later on this morning, whether they be art exhibitions, whether they be conferences, whether they be concerts, whether they be any kind of things we can't even imagine yet. At the heart of this church's life is prayer. Prayer is something that Jesus taught his disciples in a way that he never taught anything else, perhaps. It was the only thing, as Luke records, that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. Lord, teach us to pray. They could see him in a relationship with God, in that intimate relationship with the Father and the Son. And they knew there was something different about this rabbi's praying. It came out of relationship. And they too wanted to know how they could enter into that relationship with the Father. We heard how Jesus himself invited them to also call God Father, Abba. To come to him as little children in simplicity and trust, with expectancy and hope, and pray for the things that really mattered in the world. So much of praying in the Jewish tradition is using the scriptures to uh, give voice to the words that we address to God. And Jesus, no doubt, would have been able to do that time and time again. We hear him on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words from Psalm 22. How many times did he pray using scripture? And I want us to, as we grow as a church and grow deeper in learning to live the life, I want us to take every opportunity to learn how we can pray in ways that are more like Christ's teaching and ways that connect us more deeply with the Father. Just recently, I was uh, sent an email from Engage Worship, uh, an organisation that Sam and Sarah Hargreaves head up. They have written the book that we looked at a little while ago called Whole Life Worship. And they've just put on their website, engageworship.com, I think, or org, they've given us the, uh, uh, some opportunities under the heading Pause, Pray, to be able to <coughs> learn how to pray more fully and to use just five or six minutes to express and engage with God in prayer. 
And the first one that they put out was a meditation on Psalm 130, the psalm we just read. And what I'd like us to do this morning is to, to pray, rather than you listen to me going on and on, but to pray, and I will lead us through the psalm as a way of praying. So if you prefer to close your eyes to pray, that's fine. If you prefer to just look at something or just stare out into mid-space, that's fine. However you'd like to. I'd like to lead us in this uh, prayer out of Psalm 130. And I'm going to do that as a, an example, as it were, as how we too can pray the scriptures. We can use so many different passages. We do already in our liturgy. Most of our liturgy is taken from the scriptures, as you know. We use canticles occasionally, such as the Magnificat. Words taken straight from the cry of Mary, recorded in Luke's Gospel. And so prayer using the scriptures is a very familiar thing to us. And I have been deeply encouraged to do that more and more. So if you'd like to sit in an alert and comfortable, it's quite easy on these chairs to be reasonably comfortable, isn't it? And to sit with your back straight and your, your body still. Um, no slouching in these chairs. So just be in a posture of prayer and I'll lead us through this for the rest of uh, our time now. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. So who do you want to cry out to God for? Maybe something that you might have seen on the news that has deeply moved you, outraged you, or given you a real sense of thanksgiving. Maybe some statistics about climate change Or that retrial of the man who was accused of sexually assaulting and murdering two 13-year-olds in Brighton. Maybe the images of famine in Yemen. Or the joy of the royal visit to Australia. We cry out to God. Maybe members of our family or friends who have experienced and are experiencing marriage breakdown, who are facing an operation,
someone bullied in school or in the workplace. It may be something personal to you, too deep to share with anyone else. And so in a moment of silence, we call out to God from the depths of our soul. No words are needed, for his ears are attentive to our cry. Just using the words of the psalm. Lord, have mercy. No need to ask for anything. Just as the psalmist didn't ask, he just expressed the cry of his soul. psalmist continues, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. If you kept a record of sins, who could stand? We recognize our own part of the sinfulness of the world and yet the hope that there is forgiveness with God. Colossians 3 verse 13, St. Paul writes, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And so we can take a moment to confess the fact that we could not, in all integrity, to be claimed from, to be free from the guilt of sin, what we thought or said or done. And we can come before him to confess our need for forgiveness and we do that in the light of the fact that God whose very nature is to have mercy will forgive the sins of all who are penitent maybe in our imagination we can see ourselves holding a black cloth as an offering or a filthy rag covered with oil or dirt, holding it before the light. And as that light shines upon it, so we can see it beginning to change, the black and the filth gradually turning to white, cleansed completely, whiter than anything ever seen before. We can put that cloth around our neck 
receiving his forgiveness as gift. But with you there is forgiveness, writes the psalmist, so that we can with reverence serve you. That white cloth may remind you of something that Jesus took and held to dry his disciples' dirty feet. It is the towel of the servant. And so we can ask the Lord who he might be bringing into our lives that we could serve in some small way with Christ's great love and bring the healing mind and body that is God's gift that the gospel speaks of. What might that look like? What would be the first thing you can do? A phone call? To volunteer for something? Verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. If we had longer this morning, we could take much more time to wait and be still in God's presence. And maybe to be aware of or to remember something that has resonated with you from God's word. Maybe as we've read the Bible or heard a sermon or shared in home groups or in our discipleship triplets or triads. And as we wait, we remember what kind of waiting it is. It's like waiting for the dawn. We know it's going to happen. It's only a matter of time before the sun comes up. We wait with hope, belief and faith. And so the psalmist concludes, Israel, or people of God, Put your hope in the Lord. Don't put your hope in anything else, for there is no other source of hope that can be trusted. For with the Lord, he says, is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption, or plenteous redemption, as the older versions of the Bible have it. He himself will redeem God's people from all their sins. And so we can ponder words written hundreds of years before Christ in the hope that God would redeem his people from their sins. That word redeem meaning paying back 
the price, paying the price for buying back a person from something evil and oppressing, like slavery, and setting them free to live life to the full. We're reminded that this is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 1 For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. I don't know how you might want to conclude this time of, of prayer, but there are many wonderful hymns that could be sung in the light of what we've prayed. When I survey the wondrous cross, there is a Redeemer, or great is thy faithfulness. Just words you can remember. And that last verse of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, sums it all up. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Alleluia.